students are amazing. And they are advocating for curriculum reform in the midst of attending med school. It should be part of the, of the training for everybody going to med school. And that, that reason is because abortion is healthcare. Ultimately, um, what, what the world is showing us is that we will win. Abortion is, and access to abortion is ultimately winning. I'm Sarah Fenske. This is St. Louis on the Air. Pamela Merritt is a St. Louisan, but her new job entails running a nonprofit with a global reach. That organization is called Medical Students for Choice, and it's focused on making sure med school students get training in something that may be too controversial for their universities or their governments or both, and that is abortion. Abortion access has been Pamela Merritt's focus for more than a decade, and she joins us today to discuss her life, her work, and her brand new gig. So Pamela, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. So first up, congratulations on that new job. It's awesome. Um, How big an issue is medical training when it comes to abortion access? Thank you so much. Um, So it's a huge issue um, in in large part because of the politicization of abortion care. So it's important that every single individual um, has an opportunity to receive training um, in abortion if they're in med school, um, it's not it's not just for OBGYNs, but it should be part of the of the training for everybody going to med school. And that that reason is because abortion is healthcare, and it, in many different situations, somebody might need to be able to assist or provide abortion care. Um, the other important critical issue is that there's a lot of politics at play at at the university level. So, um, you know, there's absolutely no reason why abortion wouldn't be part of the regular curriculum, why people wouldn't be able to receive training. But then politics comes into play. So is is the difficulty there a matter of students who want to avoid learning how to do this? Or is it a matter of schools that are refusing to train students who are eager to do it? I, I, you know, I, I'm not going to say that there aren't students who don't want to learn, but, you know, Medical Students for Choice is, uh, supports students, and we have 50% of our board is medical students, and we have a growing and vibrant and incredibly active membership, particularly in the St. Louis area. So I, I'd have to be honest that there's a lot of interest and a lot of concern um, from students that they, they get the best education they can get. I, I think it depends on, on where you are and, and geographically in the country mm-hmm. and in the world, whether or not your your school um, is, is trying to give you a full curriculum or whether they're trying to restrict access to this learning. And so are these universities who are flat out saying we don't want our students to be trained in this or is it difficulty in some of these states like maybe perhaps Missouri to find places where students can get that training? Well, you know, the the interesting thing is that, you know, the the universities can help 
that bridge, which is what our students work so hard um, to, to advocate for. The students are amazing, and they are advocating for curriculum reform in the midst of attending med school, hmm. while they are also um, finding ways to attend trainings that we facilitate. Um, and then obviously, uh, we have uh, where we do have abortion providers close to or affiliated with a med with doctors affiliated with a med school, then that makes it much easier. So, um, you know, St. Louis is an interesting example. So you have Washington University Med School, where we have a vibrant, incredibly active uh, medical students for choice chapter. And then you have St. Louis University, where we also have a chapter, but it is not um, supported by the by the university. So Mm. those two things can happen. But our job at Medical Students for Choice is to make sure that uh, medical students are given the support they need to get this training, um, even if they are in a hostile area or attending a university that doesn't support it. So St. Louis University, that's the Jesuit university here in town, does have a med school. If somebody is desirous of that training there, how would Medical Students for Choice um, make that available or, or intervene in that case? Yeah, so um, Medical Students for Choice at uh, um, student leaders are going to work with our national organization to make sure that people are able to attend trainings that we actually facilitate Hmm. throughout the country. Um, And then they're also going to have an opportunity to be connected through externships to an uh, an abortion provider um, during a time period that that works for them so that they can uh, you know, actually go to a provider and get training um, as they need. So there's ways around it, but that's that's a lot of um, loopholes that somebody's having to go through. When in reality, um, that that's just not any logical reason why you wouldn't want to have your medical students receive training that they may have to. Um, uh, touch on uh, when they become physicians uh, in order to save somebody's life or provide uh, essential care. I want to give a little bigger context here. Um, so often in this country, we think of abortion as an American flashpoint. What kind of international advocacy does this new job entail for you? Uh, the, one of the most exciting things about this new position to me is that I I get a global context um, when I've very much so been focused on abortion access in the United States. So, you know, we have chapters in 28 countries. Hmm. We are, um, you know, supporting work and efforts to expand access to abortion and and legalize or decriminalize abortion in other countries. And so, you know, it's amazing to see the that abortion is winning that access to abortion is something that people are successfully advocating for from the grassroots hmm. the the downside is the damage um and to communities to families um the lives lost or the the physical harm done while while a country <laughs> is trying to work to legalize um and create access to safe abortion care. 
It's it's so interesting to hear you say abortion is winning. I feel like I hear such a different thing. And yes, I'm, I'm just talking to people in the States here. But there's this real sense that Roe is being rolled back and that it's harder to get an abortion now than it was 30 years ago. Um, and that it's the other side that's winning. What, what gives you such a different perspective on this? Well, you know, my perspective is coming from the, you know, the fact that abortion remains incredibly, access to abortion is incredibly popular. Um, The majority of Americans, and even when you get into different religious groups, support access to abortion, they support Roe v. Wade. So that's issue number one. Issue number two is that across the world, we are actually seeing exactly, you know, how hard it is to fight to get abortion back into a legal framework once it's been restricted. But what we're also seeing is that that fight is fueled. It is fully energized. When Hmm. you look at what happened in Ireland, when you look at the, you know, thousands upon thousands of people taking to the street in Poland, and then obviously in South America, just this wave of awesome grassroots organizing that's happening. It is very hard for me to look at, um, and I I would be remiss not to also mention some of the amazing work that is being done um, in various countries in Africa. Um, I would, I just can't look at that and not see that people people understand and are passionately advocating for abortion access all over the world. Hmm. So you see you're winning the war of ideas. You're also kind of winning the ground war, not just here in the U.S., but but in many other countries. Exactly. And honestly, as a longtime activist, the the battle is about the the ideas and the grassroots. And then that is where we can apply pressure. Um, I don't want to I don't want to cede a single inch uh, in the United States. I, I, I want to expand access to abortion here. But the reality is that we're going to have some bumpy times. Um, they are due to a lot of politic, uh, political um, strategery. <laughs> and, uh, and that doesn't make me happy. I'm not naive about the situation that we're in. But ultimately... Um, what what the world is showing us is that we will win. Abortion is in access to abortion is ultimately winning. Hmm. So you said you don't want to give an inch. I want to talk about something that's not just an inch, but it's our own backyard. Um, it, it's the yard that we're in here in Missouri. Um, the state's sole abortion clinic performed zero surgical abortions in December, and some Republicans really ran with that isolated statistic and declared this was mission accomplished for their side. The former Speaker of the Missouri House wrote this in the Washington Examiner. He wrote, Missouri has become the first state in the U.S. where abortions are no longer performed. There's been a lot of pushback from people at Planned Parenthood and other places saying, hey, no, that statistic may have been right for December. That's not really what's going on here. What's your take on those claims when it it relates to access here in Missouri? Um, great question. So, um, so the the reality is that abortion existed prior to 1973. Abortion is is happening in in Missouri in 
a self-managed abortion, which is abortion outside of a medical setting, Hmm. um, and will continue to happen because people who need care um, will seek options, and they have options that are safe and effective that didn't exist in the 70s. Do you mean uh, things like pills, medicine? Exactly, exactly. Between technology and access to to medication abortion, um, there are people who are managing their abortions outside of a medical setting safely and effectively. Um, and the issue isn't whether or not we're going to have a coat hanger. The issue is that it will be criminalized and that they they face jail. So the the reality is that even in December, when um, when folks were trying to frame Missouri as abortion-free, abortions were happening. The restrictions that exist in Missouri um, uh, are so harsh and medically unnecessary, but that it is impossible to not be aware that there are abortions that are happening outside of a medical setting because those are the limited options that people have. And we are lucky that we have safe and effective means for people to seek that care. What I know and everybody else knows is that that's not an, that's not the the option that applies for everybody and mm-hmm. that people should be able to make the choices that are right for them in the setting that is right for them. Um, and and so I'm not thrilled. Um, you know, self-managed abortion doesn't solve all of our problems. But what people need to understand is that if if somebody told people who are anti-abortion, that they were going to end abortion anywhere in the world, the United States or in any community, they sold them a bag, a bag of goods because abortion predated Roe. It's been around as long as people could get pregnant. Our guest today is Pamela Merritt. She's the executive director of Medical Students for Choice, and this has been a long focus for her. She's a native St. Louisan who lives in this area today. We do need to take a quick break, but we'll be back shortly to continue our conversation with Pamela. This is St. Louis on the Air on St. Louis Public Radio, 90.7 KWMU. Support comes from Missouri Forest Products Association, committed to sustainable and sound conservation of the state's forests, which support more than 41,000 Missouri jobs, resulting in a $10 billion industry. Choosewood.com. And now back to our conversation. Our guest today is Pamela Merritt. She is the new executive director of Medical Students for Choice. That's a national organization working with students in medical school and, and helping them as they advocate for getting trained in abortion. Pamela, I want to talk a little bit about your background. I feel like a lot of women get involved with activism for reproductive rights because they've gotten pregnant and they don't want to be. You had a totally different situation. What happened to you in your late 20s? Yes. So in my late 20s, I started to have um, some troubling uh, symptoms around my menstrual cycle. And so um, I ultimately was diagnosed with fibroids and endometriosis. Mm -hmm. And that is incredibly painful. Um, It was also uh, like the physical draining of it (laughs) was starting to affect my life. So Mm. I was able to go to a doctor who was a specialist and 
ultimately after a year of or a year and a half of treatment, um, we determined that we were going to try to surgically remove the fibroids. When I inquired about the option of, of hysterectomy, and this was in Dallas, Texas, um, my doctor basically shut it down and, and was like, that's just not going to happen. Hmm. It's not on the table. And I'm like, I'm 27. I don't want to have children. And, um, and you're telling me that ultimately... Um, hysterectomy is is in the future for me, but you're not even letting me discuss this option right now. Um, I, and so I was extremely frustrated um, with that and then, you know, ultimately had the fibroids removed and the recovery for the surgery that I had required that my body rest basically for six months. So mm. um, I needed to get a hormonal shot once a month to basically suppress my menstrual cycle so that I could heal. And um, every single month I had to fight with my insurance company to approve that shot because I was unfortunate enough to be requesting um, medicine that is usually used, um, at least back then it was used for fertility treatments. Hmm. And so not only was I, was I disgusted with uh, just the, the anxiety and the stress of fighting with my insurance company for something my doctor said I needed to avoid hemorrhaging, um, but I was particularly frustrated that um, you know, why don't we support access to medicine for fertility treatments? Um, like, that makes no sense either. So I, I really got my blood going um, from that angle and, and started to think about what people encounter if they don't have the kind of coverage I had and why people are being denied or talked out of medical options and, and how activism can help us support um, medical care that centers patients and, mm -hmm. and listens to patients. It feels like understanding how this connects to the work you're doing now, um, it feels like it, it ties into this concept of reproductive justice. Can you help us understand how that differs from the idea of just reproductive rights? Right. Uh, so reproductive rights is, um, you know, I'm part of the movement for reproductive rights um, and and in law and and health and justice. And um, so reproductive rights is about the legal right to access to birth control, to family planning options and um, obviously abortion and, and pregnancy rights as well um, and birth justice. For reproductive justice, we are fighting for the right for the, that we believe in our fighting to support that the fact, the fact that everybody has a human right to determine whether or not to, to continue a pregnancy. They have a human right to the supports and the community supports they need um, to, to have healthy families and healthy birth outcomes. And they have a right to raise their families in environments that are free of violence and oppression. So what I like to say is that I use intersectionality as a tool um, to advance these human rights so that people understand that when we're when we are 
um, when we're restricting access to abortion in, in places like Missouri, where we have horrible infant and maternal um, mortality rates, that that is connected, that for black women um, and many women of color, the ability, like pregnancy is a life or death consideration. And, you know, it, black women are two times as likely um, as white women to die as a, a, from pregnancy complications. Same rate basically applies for black infants. And hmm. reproductive justice forces us to center those black women and say, what did they need? to have healthy birth outcomes. And does that mean midwifery? Does that mean that they need to have an abortion because it that they're, they might have a stroke or a heart attack? Um, but to center them and, and make sure that we are addressing their community, whether they live in a, in a place where they can have access to healthy food, um, centering that at the same importance as we center their access to birth control. Hmm. Why do you think the mortality rates for women of color are so bad in Missouri in particular? I mean, th these problems are, are problems in so many communities across the country. Why are we even worse? Well, um, you know, the <laughs> short question there, short, yeah. <laughs> short answer, um, you know, racism is, is the reason why we have really horrific um, maternal and infant mortality rates. And, you know, those rates hold whether or not somebody has a PhD, whether they live in Clayton um, and, and drive an expensive car. Um, black women who are affluent and well-educated uh, have high mortality rates and, and black women who are poor um, have high mortality rates. And the, the the fact that it is very high in Missouri um, is directly connected to um, the the fact that Missouri has not reconciled or focused with urgency on addressing and dismantling white supremacy. Hmm. And do you see your work even in this new position? I know at ReproAction, the organization you co-founded, that was a huge part of, of what you worked on. Um, but do you see that as part of the mission of what you're doing here with medical st school students? Exactly. Uh, Medical Students for Choice is working um, hard to create the abortion providers of the future. My hope and, and what I truly believe is that the, the students and student leaders that we have right now are going to be the ones to dismantle a lot of the oppression that currently exists. And what we need to do is support their activism and answer their demands, um, which are loud and clear that they want to learn about racial health disparities. They want to learn how they as physicians can, can work to, to break down those barriers. Um, you know, medical students are, are dedicating time, energy, and money to, to, uh, to provide health care and, uh, and to help people have better health outcomes. So I truly believe that at Medical Students for Choice, this is a key, um, a key partnership, a really exciting relationship, um, at least on my part, to be able to help facilitate um, this new wave of medical students who are very much so wanting to to address um, racial health disparities.
these racism in healthcare, and also, um, do you know, to take the kind of anti-racism training that's needed to do that work. Hmm. Well, it's exciting. You're going to be running this global organization from right here in St. Louis. It sounds like once that's advisable again, there's going to be a lot of travel in your future. I don't know whether to be jealous or, or to feel like you're going to be exhausted, but it's going to be a, it's going to be a lot of work. <laughs> so. It is. Yes. Yes, it is. But I'm excited. Well, Pamela Merritt, Executive Director of Medical Students for Choice, I want to thank you so much for joining us today and, and sharing about your work. Thank you for having me. This is St. Louis on the Air on St. Louis Public Radio, 90.7 KWMU. Is listening to an episode of St. Louis on the Air part of your daily routine? If so, suggest us to a friend you think might enjoy our conversations and leave us a review and rating on Apple Podcasts on the App Store. It's the simplest way to help new people discover our show. Thank you. Support comes from the Missouri Forest Products Association. Missouri produces wood pallets, railroad ties, white oak barrels, hardwood floors, and more. Details on the variety of products made in the state are at ChooseWood.com.